people are funny about money. People are funny about money. Money makes people do things they didn't think they would do. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All kinds of evil, like stealing, lying, cheating, plotting, scheming, scamming, deception, and so on. And, and we have to be careful who we give our money to. And as you know, there are many people and many groups asking for our money. And some of them seem sincere, like they're really doing something good to help their fellow man. But the question is, are they really? Or is what you are giving them really going to the people they claim to be going to? Well, there are thousands of charitable organizations out there. And a good rule of thumb, if you're considering supporting one, is that only about 20% uh, of what they are given should go to operating and administrating cost. So for every dollar you give, 80 cents of that dollar should go towards those, the people who need whatever it is they're giving. Yet many charities don't give 20%. They don't even give, they don't even give 20 cents on every dollar to those who really need it. Like, and I'll name a few, and I was amazed when I read this, like the Feet Diabetes Fund, which uses 83 cents of every dollar donated for expenses. Or the Wishing Well Foundation. They use 93 cents of every dollar they're given for expenses. Or the National Vietnam Veterans Fund. That uses 88 cents. If you're giving to any of these, I'm sorry. 88 cents on every dollar. Or the Firefighters Charitable Fund. 93 cents of every dollar they're given goes to costs, expenses, salaries, f fundraising. But the one that is, takes the cake here is, is, is the Children's Charities Fund. And that gives, they take 94 cents on every dollar you give and only give six cents on every dollar you give to the actual children who need it. And the list is very long here. Also, many of the employees, they make really high salaries. And, and, and much money and time is spent on fundraising. They spend a fortune trying to raise money to give. And then there are those who just outright steal from the charitable organizations and the donations. A man named William Aramani, the president of United Way, which brings in close to $4 billion a year. And this man was found guilty of taking over $600,000 from the United Way, besides diverting $1.2 million of the charity's money to benefit himself and his friends. And, and he basically spent $450,000 on that money. He bought a lavish condo in New York City for his girlfriend, who at the time was only 17 and another $78,000 chauffeuring her around New York City. By the way, all on, all on, the, on, on their dime. And $5,000 to remodel her family's Florida home. Besides all of that, he took her on vacations. Egypt, London, Vegas, Atlantic City, and so on. And he charged meals and champagne and hotels and plane tickets all on the United Way's dime. He was convicted on 25 counts of felony including charges of conspiracy, fraud, money laundering, and filing false tax returns. Uh, so people are funny about money. Uh, they know there are a lot of hucksters out there. Uh, they know that not everything that shines is gold. So you need to be careful. You need to be cautious. You need to know who you are giving your money to, and you need accountability. 
And that's exactly the heart and the mind of the Apostle Paul. Right? He's, been, he's been part of starting a collection for the poor and suffering saints in Jerusalem. And he has asked the Gentile churches to help contribute to them. And just a year before, the Corinthian church was ready to give, they desired to give, and they actually started to give, but then they put the brakes on. They stopped giving. Maybe because of their rift they had with Paul. Maybe. Uh, but also because of, as we looked at the last time that I preached, procrastination, hesitation, and trepidation. Well, now that Titus has returned from Corinth and told Paul that the, the saints there have repented of their sin against Paul and desired to be restored to fellowship with him, uh, and they want to submit once again to his authority. And Paul reminds them uh, of the pledge that they made uh, to help the suffering saints in Jerusalem and says, you should really finish what you started. Finish what you started. And now in verses 16 of chapter 8 to the end of this chapter, he will assure them uh, that the collection of this offering and its delivery to Jerusalem will be done with integrity and with accountability. He will leave them no reason for suspicion or doubt as he will set up a delegation to collect and deliver the money. What I'd like to do today is look at verses 16 to 24 of chapter 8 in a sermon titled, People are Funny About Money Using Three Points. And it's all about the delegation. One is the delegation. Secondly, the reason for the delegation. And finally, the, de the desired response to the delegation. So let's look at the delegation. I'm going to read verses 16 to 19 and then 22 and 23. Again, and Paul says, but thanks be to God who puts the same earnest care for you in the heart of Titus. Uh, for he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you of his own accord. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, uh, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord and to show your ready mind. And we have sent with him our brother, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. If anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. Or if our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. Well, Paul is grateful. He is grateful for the men God is using. And he is sending to the Corinthians to collect their monetary gift for the Jerusalem saints. Uh, and he wants to let the Corinthians know that the men that are coming to them are men of moral character, high moral character. They are no Johnny-come-latelys, right? Rather, they are mature, spiritually-minded men, uh, men that are highly spoken of, uh, men that Paul and the churches trust and approve, uh, men that can be vouched for with a good conscience. Men who can be counted on to collect the money from the Corinthians and safely deliver it to Jerusalem. For as you know, people get funny when it comes to money. They want to make sure that people collecting their money uh, and, and carrying their money are trustworthy. They want to have confidence in those men. And we at Grace Baptist Church, we want to have confidence in those who handle the money that we give. We want to have confidence in our trustees. Uh, for they are the ones who collect and count and deposit and record and monitor and allocate the money that we give. Uh, and we need to have confidence that they are trustworthy men. 
We need to have confidence about that. We want to trust that what we give is being used for what we give it for. And I, on a personal note, am extremely thankful for the trustees of this church. I am thankful that they are not just men who are dealing with the money, but they're spiritually minded men. Not just a bunch of, of you know, accountants and CEO types, you know, businessmen. They're, they're men who really love the Lord. And so I am thankful for them. I really am. And you guys know who you are. I am thankful. Well, Paul knows that even the slightest hint uh, of suspicion when it comes to money can hurt a minister and can hurt a ministry. He knows that. Uh, and you and I know there have been, been a lot of unethical things done by pastors and churches and evangelists uh, concerning money. You have pastors and evangelists, they're living really large, really large off of the givings of the people who the people are not living so large at all. And they live in grandiose homes, besides having winter homes and summer homes, and, uh, while they enjoy the finer things of life. And there's nothing wrong with the finer things in life, but if you're milking the people so that they're struggling and you're living large, you might have a problem. And so people who give money to a church or a ministry or a needy saint want to know that it's going to who they're giving it for. That it's being used for what is said it's being used for. Well, Paul knows uh, that he's being slandered, and that's the problem here in, in 2 Corinthians, and falsely accused by these false apostles and false teachers who have infiltrated the church. And they're claiming that Paul's a charlatan, and they're claiming he's out to pilfer the people, uh, and that he's going to be organizing this collection so that it will somehow come back to him, uh, that he's making a payday of it, so to squash all potential suspicion uh, and to distance himself uh, from the possibility of any credible accusation, he forms a delegation of three men to collect and to carry out the offering. This way, nobody can lay a blame or charge on him or levy some accusation against him because he will not handle the money. I mean, how would it look? How would it look if every Sunday after the offering plate goes around, Ben Stephen just gives me all the money in front of everybody? Uh, it gives me everything, and I stuff it in my pockets, and I take it home, <laughs> right? And, and, I mean, how would that look if, if we're doing that? And I'm, I'm stuffing it in my pockets, saying, I'll count it. I'll let Claudia oversee me count it. I'll count it. I'll put it in the bank, uh, and, and I'll take care of it. Everyone, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. I, I think that would make a lot of people uncomfortable. I think it would make them uncomfortable. And by the way, just so we're all clear on this, I never touch the money. I just don't. I don't touch the money. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not even on the bank account. I have to ask Dan what bank we use, because I don't know. <laughs> so I don't touch the money. I don't go to banks. I don't do any of this stuff. I don't know what anybody gives. I've told you this four times, but I'm going to keep doing this as we go through chapters 8 and 9 of giving. I don't know what anybody gives. I have no idea. I know what Claudia and Peter and the coach give. That's it. That's what I know. And I don't need to know what you give. I, need you, I know you need to grow, and I need to grow in the grace of giving. We've seen that already in, in the beginning of chapter 8. I know that, right? We need to be growing in the grace of giving like every other grace. And so if we're not growing in that grace, then there's, then there's a problem in our spiritual life. But that's all I know. So, so I, don't, I, I don't even determine my own salary. The trustees tell me what I make. Right? And I can't tell them what I want. They just give me what I'm supposed to get, and they're good with that, and I'm good with that. So I never touch money. Right? I don't know, even know where the money goes. Uh, so, you know, that, that's just how it is. So I am protected 
from any claim of impropriety, uh, uh, which is how it should be. I'll pull it and have trustees, like we have trustees, uh, but what he, what he and the churches did have were faithful men to carry out this task. And what he does is he gives the credentials of these three men who will be the delegation. And they are Titus, the brother, in verse 18, and our brother, in verse 22. And the Corinthians knew Titus well. But he's been with them at least a few times. And he's just come back from there. Uh, where, where he had delivered Paul's severe letter to them, uh, which was rebuking them for their sin against Paul and allowing that sin and not, 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 not repenting of that sin. Uh, and so, so he brought that letter to them uh, and, and he called them to repent in that letter and to come under his authority again. again and, then, and, then, and then Titus was told to work with them and to encourage them so that they would indeed do that. Uh, and we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 and 7, Titus comes back and he reports to Paul, the Corinthians have repented. Not everybody, but most of them have repented. They have mourned over their sin. They disciplined those who have sinned against him, who attacked Paul. And they now have love and zeal for Paul again. So the Corinthians know Titus, and they love Titus, uh, and they know that Titus loves them. And when Paul encourages Titus to go back to Corinth to bring this, you know, to, to be part of this delegation, uh, Titus didn't have to be coaxed into this. He didn't have to pull his arm. He didn't have to be talked into it. For the scripture says he not only accepted the exhortation, Titus, I want you to go. I want you to go and be part of a delegation to collect their money and then, and then bring it to Jerusalem. He said he not only accepted the exhortation, but being more diligent, he went to you on his own accord. He wanted to go. He wanted to help. He wanted to be a blessing to them. And when you love someone, you want to bless them. When you love someone, you want to bless them. Right? When you care about someone, you want to serve them. You just do. And is this not how, how we should be? When one of our pastors asks us to serve in a certain way, to help out in a certain way for the sake of the king and the kingdom, unless providentially hindered, well, we should want to do that. I mean, we should want to do that. I want you to notice who put this care, who put this concern, who put this love for the Corinthians and Titus' heart. And if there was ever a group of saints who were difficult to deal with, who were troublesome, who might not be so easy to love, I think it might be the Corinthians for all their struggles as we read in 1 Corinthians. But Titus cared because God put that love and care in his heart for them. Right? The same love and care that Paul had for them, Titus had for them as well. And Paul knew it. Which is why he starts by saying, but thanks be to God who put the same earnest care for you into the heart of Titus. So God is the one to be thanked for putting the saints on the heart of the saints. God is the one to be thanked for putting the saints on the heart of the saints. He is the one to be thanked that the saints have a heart of generosity towards other saints. He is the one to be thanked for those who labor and spend themselves for the sake of the saints. Uh, and if you think about how the saints love you, just think about how the saints love you, how they care about you, how they pray for you, how they're there for you, how they hopefully put them, you, you above them. Know this. It's because God has put it in their hearts. 
because God has put it in their hearts. When the love of God penetrates and saturates your heart, it is not hard to love the saints. You can't help it. When he puts his love in you and that is real, it is hard not to love his people. It is hard not to love his people. In fact, we're commanded to love each other, but that shouldn't be a, we shouldn't have to be like twisting the arm to get us to love each other. Jesus said, this is my commandment. This is it. That you love one another as I have loved you. How should I love you? As he loved me. How should you love me as he loved you? That's the command. We're told in Romans 12, 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In 1 Peter 4, 8, we're told to have fervent love for one another. Fervent. Sticking the neck out. Striving toward. So we thank God. We thank God that the saints love us and that we love the saints. But did you ever think about, about how different we are from some of the saints? I mean, did you ever think about that? We're a kind of mixed bag of people. Right? That, that, that when you were an unbeliever, you probably wouldn't give many of the people in this room you know now, that you now love, you probably wouldn't give them the time of day. Just think about that. Uh, you, you wouldn't have wanted to do anything with them. No offense. A lot of you, I wouldn't want to associate with. And you want to associate with me. It's just how we were in our own, uh, wrapped in our sin. Wrapped in our sin. We wouldn't want to deal with each other because we want people like us. We want people like us. But now the new heart that God has given us comes with an affection and love for the people Christ loves. And and do you know why I think Paul tells the Corinthians of Titus' heart for them? And, and how God has put his love in them for his heart, his heart to, for them to love them, it is to show them just how much God loves them. If God, who puts it in Paul and Titus' hearts to love the Corinthians, then that can only mean that God loves the Corinthians. Why would God put it in Paul's heart and Titus' heart to love the Corinthians if God already didn't love them? You see, because God loves you, He puts it in the hearts of others to love you and care for you and to bless you. When you consider the love that the saints have for you, it is because God has put it in their hearts because he loves you. You ever think about that? You love me because he loves me. I love you because he loves you. So one of the ways he shows you he loves you is by the love of the saints for you. So then... Do the saints encourage you? Do they bless you? If so, then give thanks to God. And remember, it's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. Now Paul will give us some more info on Titus. uh, And he says in verse 23, if anyone inquires about Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker concerning you. And he will say in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, Uh, that the way Paul ministered to the Corinthians is the same way Titus did. Uh, And he asks, did Titus take advantage of you? I.e., like these false apostles and teachers who are taking advantage of you? Then he asks, did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? So Titus is just like Paul. No hidden agendas, no hidden agendas. He saw the saints the way Paul saw the saints, and that is as sheep who need tending. Sheep who need care. Sheep who need love. 
He had the same pattern of life that Paul had. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 15, that, that after being with the Corinthians and seeing God work repentance in them, that Titus' love increased for them. So Titus was a go-to guy for Paul. He was like Timothy, a true son in the faith. He was Paul's partner, which means his companion, his comrade. He, he was a partner with Paul in suffering for Christ and de- declaring the gospel to the Gentile people. Hey, listen, Paul was no lone ranger. He was no lone ranger, right? Paul was no lone ranger at all. He was not a one-man band. He was not a one-man show. He had many co-laborers around him. And you just read the end of his epistles, Roman particularly, and you see the names, he names. All the people, most of them we don't even know anything about, but these are people, men and women, who have served with him. And he's thankful for them. And Titus was a key one, a very dependable one. For Paul trusted him to go to Corinth and to work with them. And he sent him to Crete, right, to go work with the churches there and to appoint uh, elders in every city. And Paul adds in verse uh, 23 that Titus was his fellow worker concerning you. Uh, so they were laboring or working together for the good of the Corinthian saints. They were on the same page. They had different gifts. Paul's an apostle, gifted like no one else other than an apostle, but they had the same goals. Well, not only is Titus part of the delegation, but we read in verses 18 and 19, the second person is the brother, the brother. We read, and we have sent with him the brother, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not only that, but who was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift, which is administered by us to the glory of the Lord himself and to show your ready mind. And we don't know who this brother is uh, because he's not named. There, There are plenty of ideas in the commentaries of who this guy is, but here's the thing. God didn't tell us. He didn't tell us, so it's really not important for us to know who exactly he is. But clearly, the Corinthians knew who he was. They knew who he was. And Paul says his praise is in the gospel, which most likely means he was praised for his preaching of the gospel and his gospel ministry. Most likely, he's a minister of the gospel. And he is known for that, Paul says, throughout all the churches. So this brother is well-known by the churches. He's a respected minister of the gospel, and he has an excellent character, and the Corinthians, they know it. Speaking of character, Charles Spurgeon said this, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who you loved, those who you loved and helped will remember you when the forget-me-nots are withered, for your name is carved on hearts, not on marble. So this unnamed brother was well-known and had a good character. Uh, And isn't it true that many of the Lord, his servants that he has used, they've been unnamed. For example, the slave girl uh, who lived in Naaman's house, Naaman the leper, who told him where he could find cleansing in Israel, i.e. Elijah. We don't know her name. We don't know her name. But God certainly used her in a powerful way. How about the boy? The boy who gives Jesus his five loaves of bread and the two little fish. So he could use them to miraculously feed 5,000 men plus women and children. We don't know his name. But God used him to glorify his son, showing him to be the true king of Israel. And what you do in the kingdom of God is, is unknown to most. Unknown to most. 
except for those saints you fellowship with and worship with and labor together with. But of course, what you do, what you do, is known to God. He knows, he knows who you are. He knows what you do. He knows, as Jesus said in Matthew 10, 42, when you give a cold cup of water to a saint, cold cup of water to a saint, he knows, as Jesus said in Matthew 25, when you feed one of his people who are hungry or give them a drink when thirsty, he knows when you welcomed them when they were alone, when you clothed them when they were naked, he knows when you visited them when they were sick and in prison. As Hebrews 6.10 says, he knows your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So to the world, you and I, we are nameless. To most of the saints, you're just another believer. God knows you. God knows your labor. God knows your name. He knows your name. And in the end, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12 says, the Lord will write upon his people a new name. You're getting a new name. Victor, that's gone. Who knows what it will be? It'll be a name fitted for glory. You'll get a new name. Now concerning this brother, we read in verse 19 that, that he was also chosen by the churches to travel with us with this gift. And the word chosen means appointed. It literally means to stretch out the hand, to stretch out the hand. And so what he's saying is the churches took a vote, took a vote by hands. They took a vote by hands to see who should be part of the collection of, you know, in this delegation. And this brother was chosen. He was chosen by the churches, not by Paul. Uh, and, and this would help Paul to distance himself from any accusations that he put his guys, he put his guys, uh, his cronies, in on the collection somehow scheming to pilfer from the top later on. Now the third man in this delegation is found in verse 22, and that is our brother, our brother. And there we read, and we have sent with them our brother, our brother. Uh, and the them is Titus and the brother. Now the third person is our brother. So you have Titus, the brother, our brother. Uh, and he's our brother because Paul personally knows him. Uh, and what we read about our brother uh, in the rest of verse 22 is, whom we have often proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent because of the great confidence which we have in you. And proved means tested. So this brother was tested in many things. He was tested in many ways. He was no novice, right? And he was diligent to serve, diligent to disciple believers, diligent in helping and evangelizing. So he was a kingdom guy. To me, people are either kingdom guys or not kingdom guys. You're in the, you're in the church, you're, you're a child of God, you're either a kingdom person, the kingdom matters to you, you're involved in kingdom stuff, you, you have a great desire to see the, the kingdom advanced and Christ's name glorified, or you don't, right? And I just hope that those who are in the kingdom but don't, don't have a zeal for the kingdom, would, God would fire him up, fire us up and give us a zeal for his kingdom. This guy had it. This guy was a kingdom guy. He was, a very, he was very active in the kingdom. And it was evident to everybody around him. He was dependable. This is a, a go-to saint you can count on. A, a saint who, who did what he said he would do. And so the question is, are you a kingdom guy? Are you a go-to guy or a go-to girl? Can you be dependent on to do what is needed for the advancement of the kingdom? Well, our brother was not only battle-tested, if you will, 
But he was diligent to serve in this delegation because he saw the great confidence that Paul had in the Corinthians. And Paul ends verse 23 by saying, If our brethren are inquired about, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So, so, so the three men in this delegation, they're messengers or sent out from the churches. Uh, and this is a church effort. This is not Paul alone. This is a church effort. Uh, and, and it is to the glory of Christ. And that's important. Listen, Paul's whole purpose in this offering, yes, it's to help the saints in, 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 in Jerusalem that are suffering, but his, his main goal, the end of it all, is that Christ would be glorified. It's that Christ would be glorified. And this should be the purpose of everything we do as a church and our own personal lives. Even as we read today in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, and that means even the mundane things, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen, amen. Right? So we see the delegation. Secondly, the reason for the delegation. There we read in verse 20 and 21. Avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered by us, providing honorable things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. Well, the reason Paul puts the dele together this delegation is because he wants everything to be above board. He doesn't want to give even an inch to his opponents or naysayers claiming that somehow Paul is being underhanded here or that he's skimping off the top or, or padding his pockets with this gift, if you will. Uh, and again, people are funny when it comes to money. They are leery and untrusting and suspicious, uh, and they have seen or they have heard about so many crooked people claiming to be Christians, and I'm sure you have as well. So Paul doesn't want to do anything that might smell a little fishy here. So he says, avoiding this, that anyone should blame us in this lavish gift which is administered to by us. So he wants to avoid any possibility of anyone accusing him of doing anything that is underhanded or improper. And he follows his own advice, which he gives to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 22, which is to abstain from every form of evil. Which means don't do anything that even looks like it might not be okay. Right? Don't do anything that even looks like it might be sinful because it's going to be hurtful to those who view you. And avoiding this, he says, comes from the Greek word that means to set in order, to prepare oneself. So Paul was preparing himself for the potential of being blamed. And he didn't want anything to hurt his testimony. He very much cared about his testimony. He said in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 32 and 33, he said, give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks, right? The, the Jews or the Gentiles, if you will, uh, or the church of God, just as also I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. I don't want to do anything that's going to give anyone a chance to, you know, discredit me or bring shame to the very gospel that I love. I don't want to do anything. So Paul took precautions to guard his integrity. And ministers of the gospel need to take precautions, like not handling the money, like not being alone with women uh, from the church, and so on. We need to take precautions. It just takes one person and one accusation, and you know and I know, in the court of public opinion, just getting it out there, you're guilty. 
So Paul put a buffer system in place when it came to this offering. He also worked with his own hands, he said, instead of taking a salary from the Corinthians, which he was entitled to do. He didn't want to do anything that gave anyone a chance to blame him in this lavish gift. And the word lavish means abundant. This was a big gift. A lot of money we're dealing with here. Right? The churches are sending a lot of their money to the Jerusalem saints. And he didn't want to give anyone any reason to blame him in any way. For he said in chapter 2 of this book, verse 11, that he was not ignorant of Satan's devices, who was always looking for ways to destroy our reputations and shut down our ministries. For decades, Billy Graham was the most popular evangelist in the world. And many people who didn't like him were watching him very closely and waiting for him to screw up, to do something that they could blame him on, to call him a hypocrite for. Uh, and so what, what Billy Graham did uh, and his ministry team was they formed the Board of Christian Businessmen to handle all the money that came in. And they put everyone in his organization on a salary. And the organizational books and Billy's own personal finances were audited, audited annually and made public every year. Every year, everybody could see, you know, the books of Billy Graham and his ministry. So Graham and his ministry were a model of integrity. Well, no minister or ministry wants to be blamed for misuse or abuse of money. They should want, as, as Paul said, to be honorable. Not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of men. And honorable means good, admirable, fair and right. We read in 1 Peter 2, to keep our conduct among the Gentiles, honorable. Every Christian, we should want to be honorable, particularly among the unsaved. So then do what is honorable first and foremost in the sight of God, and then also in the sight of men. And some may say, hey, wait a second, why do I care what men think anyway? As long as we're honorable to the Lord in the sight of the Lord, why do I care what, what other people think? Well, you need to know that Paul cared. Paul cared what the, what the lost thought, because he knew, he knew life and ministry are inseparable. And, and there will always be those who judge the claims of Christ by the life you live and by the claims of his followers. And so we really have to be people of integrity. So first we see the delegation. Secondly, the reason for the delegation. And finally, the desired response to the delegation. Verse 24. Therefore, show to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting on your behalf. Well, in light, of, in light of what you've committed to give and in light of this delegation that we are sending to collect your gift, finish what you started. Finish what you started. Prove your love for the saints and at the same time, prove that my boasting of you was true. So, so, so to all the churches involved in this ministry of mercy that, that, that you do indeed love the saints. Show them you love the saints. And you do that by practically meeting needs. Don't just say you're going to help, but they never help. Don't just say, well, I'll pray for you, man. Uh, you know, I know you're starving. I don't have clothes to wear. I know it's 22 degrees outside. I'm going to pray. No. If you can, get them a coat. Buy them some food, right? You show love by action. You show love by action, by practically helping those in need. And we're told that in Scripture. 1 John chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. John says, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and need means need to live, right? Not wants, need to live, and shuts his heart up from him. How does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. 
I'll pray for you, man. I really hope you get a meal tonight. I'm going to pray for you. Well, James will tell us that. In James chapter 2, 15 and 16, he'll say, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be filled and be warm. I mean, I hope you find the clothes, man. I hope you get a meal. Hope you don't freeze tonight. He said, But you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? What does it profit? And in Hebrews 13, 16, it tells us, Do not forget to do good and to share. Because we need to be reminded of that. Because we could forget, right? Do not forget to do those things. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God is well pleased when we remember to help. So show your love by your actions. And the principle here is that real proof, the real proof or the real test of our spirituality or our love for the saints is in giving and serving, not just words. So in the Corinthians, uh, in the Corinthians case, it's, it is show your love by responding appropriately to the delegation. Have your offering ready. Give what you promised to give and give it with a good heart. Give it with a good heart. Listen, when you love, you give. When you love, you want to bless others. I mean, do you not give good things to your children because you love them? What parent withholds good things from their kids if they really need them? You love them. You want to help them. And do you not love Jesus more than your children? And do you not love Jesus more than your parents? And do you not even love Jesus more than your spouse or siblings? And if you say, well, I don't know, you know, that's a, that's a big one now. Well, you got to know that Jesus said you must. He must have top slot of the heart. Right? If he's not in the top slot, he's not in that heart. Here's what he said in Matthew 10, 37. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He's not saying don't love your mother and father. Love your mother and father. Help them. Honor them. Bless them. Do what you can for them but love Jesus more. Love Jesus more. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. We don't want to be not worthy of Jesus. So if you love Jesus above all, uh, should you not give to him? Should you not give to his kingdom? Should you not give to those whom he loves? Should you not give to his church? Therefore, a loving saint is a generous saint. It just is. And finally, if the Corinthians follow through on their commitment to give, that will prove that Paul's boasting of them was accurate. Uh, for Paul knew of their repentance, Titus told him. And he knew of their desired, desire to fellowship with him again and come under his ministry again. And he was sure that their heart to give would be revived as well. well let me close by leaving you with three things to think about. Three thoughts. And the first one is this. The first one is this. Pray that God would put an earnest care in your heart for the saints at Grace Baptist Church. Pray that God would put an earnest care in your heart for the saints at Grace Baptist Church. That you would give or do what will bless them and help them and what will grow them in their faith. Some of you may have an earnest care for this person or that person. Maybe God has put a burden on your soul for A or B or C. But pray that he would put a burden on your soul for all the saints. 
that it wouldn't be a pick and choose thing. I like that guy because he's like me. We would love the saints. How much better to have an earnest care for all the saints. Amen? Second thought is this. That what we give should glorify God. What we give should glorify God. The gifts the churches were giving to the Jerusalem saints was to glorify the Lord. And, and, and we're not talking about the amount here. We're talking about the heart. The heart, the willingness, the readiness to give. That brings him glory. That brings him glory. Right? The love that motivates the giving, that brings him glory. So, so when we give to the church or to a missionary or to a good ministry or to a needy saint, what we should want most of all is that God will be glorified with that. That God will be glorified with that. I mean, is God glorified if we give reluctantly? Or by compulsion, and we're going to see that in chapter 9, right? If we have to have our arm twisted, oh, here we go again. You know, I got to give to this person, or that person needs that. Is he glorified with that? Is he glorified if we, we, we throw some crumbs his way? Is he glorified? We'll give him our leftovers. Is he glorified if we plop down even a load of money, but not with a willing heart? Or with a view of, of being praised by men? Or with a view of maybe getting a tax write-off? Is he glorified by that? Brothers and sisters, let our giving to the Lord always be glorifying to the Lord. Let it be because a heart that wants to. Don't give if you don't want to give. That's worse than, than, than anything else because what you're doing is saying, I'm giving because I want something. I want to be recognized or because I have to give. Let us give because we want to give. It is our heart to give. Third thought is this. As we prove our love by giving, so too has God the Father and God the Son proved their love by giving. As we prove our love by giving, right? It's where the rubber meets the road. We say, we say, we say, but we do, right? right? James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. So too has God the Father and God the Son proved their love by giving. The Father proved his love for sinners, us sinners, lawbreakers, rebels, fist shakers against him. How? By giving us his son. He deserve any gift from God. And yet John 3, 16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, but listen, for God so loved the world, he did something, he gave something, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. There's not hell there for them. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but have everlasting life. We didn't earn that. We don't deserve that, right? He proved his love for us that while we were still sinners, we're told in Romans 8, Christ died for us. While we were still dead in our trespasses and sin, Christ died for us. That's a gift. John 15, 13 says, Jesus proved his love for us. He laid down his life for us. We talked about, about being cleansed in the soul, cleansing blood of the lamb. That's his love. That's his love for us. That's his gift to us. Paul said in Ephesians 5, 2, that Christ has loved us and given himself for us. There's the gift. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Listen, no way anyone goes to heaven unless Christ first paves the way with his own blood. No one goes into perfection and glory until Christ makes you prepared for perfection and glory by wiping away your sins 
and giving you a perfect, holy standing before a holy God. And he does that in himself, offers up himself. It's a gift. Shows his love for us by giving himself. So, so God didn't say he loved us and then hold back his son from us. And the son didn't say he loved us and then decide to skip going to Jerusalem and maybe take Satan's offer of having a worldly kingdom, an earthly kingdom. No, they show their love by giving and may we show our love by being givers. Now here, listen, if you don't know God's love, if you don't know Christ's love, that's because you don't know them. That's because you don't know them. And that means you're still in your sins. And that means you're still separated from God and you're still under the penalty of your sin. But know this, God so loves sinners and Jesus so loves sinners that he was sent into this world to die for them, to pay the penalty of their sins. And anyone who turns from their sins and recognizes they're a sinner and need a savior and recognizes they can't save themselves and recognizes that, that only through Christ can there ever be forgiveness and given a right standing, and given salvation, they'll be saved. And they will receive the super abundant, lavish gift of eternal life. Amen? Don't leave unsaved. You may have walked in this room today and you don't know the saving mercy and love of God, but you don't have to walk out that way. You could cry out for forgiveness and find it even today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you for the truth of the love of God and the love of Christ and the indwelling of the Spirit. We thank you that you gave us your all so that we could have you forever. And Father, as we deal with issues of money, let us be wise, let us be truthful, let us have a Godward mind and be honorable and all those things. And Lord, let us use what we have in a way that glorifies you. Lord, take away a stingy heart Lord, take away a, a selfish heart and Lord, give us a generous heart. Lord, we know you don't care about the amount, but Lord, you care about the heart. And I pray that we would grow in this grace of giving and generosity and we would have a heart and a love for the people of God and the church of God and even the lost. And Lord, we know that we can't muster that up. And Lord, thank you for the love of the saints. We know again, that's by you. You put it in them to love us, showing us you love us. And Father, may that love come out of us to others. And Lord, would you save those who don't know you this day? Would you bring them to the, to the cross and would you raise them up and would you give them life eternal? In Christ's name, amen.